this is Daryl with the show intro. Taylor is on vacation this week. He's probably wearing sunglasses and thinking he looks all cool. And you know what? He probably does. I'm sure you've heard the Leo Messi rumours by now. Today's show is not about Leo Messi, although he does make an appearance when we answer a listener question. I can assure you that tomorrow's show will have Graham Ruthven, La Liga expert, to talk about all things Barcelona and Leo Messi and everything that is happening there right now. Today's guest is actually our friend, Mr. Jason Davis. Jason has some good news to share in that the best soccer show is back. I ask him how that came to be, but we also answer listener questions all about American soccer. Before we hear from Jason, I want to let you know that today's Total Soccer Show is sponsored by DoorDash. If you're somehow unfamiliar, DoorDash is an app that lets you order food from restaurants around you and get it delivered right to your door. You can continue supporting restaurants in your community safely. And there are thousands of restaurants open for delivery on DoorDash that need your patronage now more than ever. You just open the DoorDash app, you choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. DoorDash has over 300,000 partners in the US, Puerto Rico, Canada and Australia and you can support your local go-tos as well as big name national chains. Though I would say if you live in the United States, don't order from Australia, it's going to take a while to get there. The good news is you can get $5 off and pay zero delivery fees on your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app, enter the code TSS. That's $5 off, zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the code TSS. Don't forget, TSS, $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by the man who once again hosts the best soccer show. His name is Jason Davis. Hello. Hi, Daryl. Thank you for having me. Of course. Always a pleasure. And I think, actually, I haven't had you on the show in a long time. I think Taylor's talked to you the last couple of times. I always like to set the context that um, I think of you as... A contemporary because we both go back more than a decade in this yes. talking about soccer thing yes we've both been in the trenches <laughs> not to make a, a, a war analogy too too much but we've been in the trenches of um, of podcasting and and writing and doing all of this in american soccer for for a decade it makes us old daryl which kind of does right i used to yeah. think of us as the new media kids and now yeah now <laughs> we're starting to be grizzled veterans right are we are we establishment now daryl is that what this is not, it can't be right not, can't be not quite i don't style my hair so i'm not establishment yet okay okay <laughs> right. we, we 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 still have to to grind everything that we get grind out everything we get so we, we can't yeah. claim to be and we're not we're not uh, we're not sitting up on high in an ivory tower anywhere, are we? We're, we're certainly not, not. But if there was an apocalypse, I kind of think the next day someone would be able to find you and I at microphone somewhere trying to start something. <laughs> it's funny because just before we started, I was thinking that today, as we record, I just finished my radio show, so I did three hours of of radio um, solo. You know that the, the my show is uh, on Sirius XM is just me. Occasionally, I'll bring in my producer, Emily, but it's usually just me. 
And then I'm getting ready to do this, and I'm thinking about how the best soccer show is now back under that name. Apparently, I'm just addicted to it, and I can't stop. And <laughs> there's maybe there's too much. And every time I my wife looks up, I'm like, "Got to do another podcast, honey." <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, well, let's talk. Let's talk. So, Sirius XM. How long have you been there? It feels like forever to me. But it's, it's essentially for those who know your career, it was post soccer morning with Sirius XM FC, right? Yes. So, uh, what just year the, was that? It was like nineteen ninety one. The brief timeline goes: um, my my blog, Matchfit USA, the podcast named for that blog in two thousand nine. Then uh, teaming up with Zach Woosley and doing the American Soccer Show, changing it to the American Soccer Show in two thousand ten. And then uh, at some point, shortly thereafter, teaming up with jared and doing the best soccer show which i know we'll get to we're gonna talk jared we're gonna talk jared and then 2013 starting soccer morning which was by myself and that was um you know all internet not radio and then some in 2015 getting um getting the radio show which was also called soccer morning to start so i was doing Uh an internet version and i was doing a radio version and then i believe it was 2016 2017 that um, I stopped doing Soccer Morning and the Best Soccer Show and went over to SiriusXM exclusively and it and it became the United States of Soccer instead of Soccer Morning on the radio. So 2015, I think, is when I started on the radio. So five years, five which is crazy. Years. All right, yeah. So before we talk Best Soccer Show, I do want to talk about just the difference between working with Jared mm-hmm. and hosting a show on your own because I am oh. always impressed by your ability to essentially – just talk about soccer on your own on the radio. So how how do you how does one even do that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've been asked that before, and I don't know. Um, I think I think that look, I, I I don't have all of the knowledge in the of the in the world in my head. So what I tend to do is, and I think my if I have one one talent, if if uh, you, somebody asked me what's your what's your one true talent, I would say that I, I'm pretty decent at, at distilling in, information. Yeah, that I do a, a pretty good job of taking a bunch of different things and putting them into bite sized pieces for people, and I do that vocally. I do that by talking, and I think so. What what I tend to do with the with the radio show is to bring in a bunch of information or bring in a story, and then sort of walk people through something like. Right now in American soccer, you can't go wrong with a Paul Tenorio or a Sam Stay School or a Meg Linehan story, right? Yeah. So you pull those up and I scan through them so I know what I'm getting into before I start. And then I sort of use that. I mean, occasionally, because it's a daily show, I do get lazy. Occasionally, I'll do a full bullet-pointed rundown of something, yeah. especially if I, if it's in-depth and it needs. A, I have a lot of intricate stuff I need to get to. But a lot of times, I'll just sort of like walk through the article. I'm not reading it. I might read a, a passage or I might read yeah, a quote. Like the Athletic would come after you if you were just reading their probably. articles live on it. Probably. Yeah, they probably wouldn't be too happy with me. They'd stop showing up on my program and I wouldn't have any guests anymore. But I think what I do is just I sort of I, – again, I have a basic knowledge of the story anyway. Like I know all the, the – I know all the background even if I don't know the specific information about whatever signing it's going to be or whatever NWSL is doing. So then I can just – with that background and that knowledge that I've that I've gained, then – throw that new information on top in pieces that I'm pulling out from the article while I'm going on the air. It, it, it's kind of hard to describe, but it's like yeah. distilling the information on the fly. And then just, I I think I've refined an ability to make it sound good. And that's, I think that's no small thing in radio because 
if you have somebody who's stumbling over themselves or gives you good information, but it doesn't flow, well, then you're going to go, I can't, this guy's terrible or this woman's terrible. I got to move on. I can't, I can't get anything from this, but I, I do a decent job of, of stringing my thoughts together in a way that sounds coherent. I, I know that sounds very dis, almost dismissive of it, but it kind of is that because that's how we process information as people. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people, even like people like me who do a lot of, you know, speaking into microphones would find that really, really, really hard if I had to to do that tomorrow. So it's a, it's absolutely um, a skill that you've got. But I also know that you always wanted to uh, also do a two-person podcast because I, yes. I got the feeling that you kind of missed that back and forth. And especially you missed that back and forth with Jared from Jared Dubois from back in the best soccer show days. So I want to talk about best soccer show being back. Um, I did notice, I mean, we know about this, right? Cause we talked off air, but you were back what a few months ago as JD and the rod. Mm -hmm. um, and now you've got the name back. So can you tell us about getting the name back? Um, I, I can't go into detail on that. Okay. Um, what, what I'll say is that, um, that I, we always wanted to bring the show back under the best soccer show name. I mean, that's why people knew us before. I mean, the, the, just getting the getting a show with me and Jared back was was made me happy. Um, as you said, I, I did miss the dynamic. I missed talking to Jared. I missed uh, laughing at his as dumb jokes and and his innuendo. But also, the guy knows soccer, so it's a mix, right? And and that show was never, um, you know, that show was always kind of supposed to be as much fun and funny as it was hard soccer analysis. And, you know, some people balance those things really well. Some people don't. Some people are really good at the analysis part, but maybe don't, and not because they're not funny, but just because that's not how their show evolved. So that's what I missed about it. Um, and when I convinced him to come back, because it had been a couple years and he had, his life had calmed down to a point where he thought he could do it again and, and all that. When I convinced him to come back, we just weren't sure about, some things and we were like well should we really bring it back under their own name is it going to be the same show how will people respond is this the right thing to do we can't get our, the, our hands on the old feed that's not in our control right. um, things like that and like well okay well let's not let's just do something different jd and the rod it sounds like a ridiculous name and it is but it, the reason we chose it is because during the first run, we would occasionally joke that if we were a, a morning show on the radio, we would be JD and the Rod. Like that would be our goofy DJ names because it's got always a, you like got a gravel that. in your voice there. Just to just well, to that was more gravelly, but it was like JD and the Rod on 105 <laughs> The Zoom. It's like that, right? It's the goofy radio guy thing, and we knew that our our hardcore listeners, people who loved us from back in the day, would understand what that was about. But we also recognized it probably wasn't going to get new people in the door because what soccer fan is going through the soccer podcast and goes, JD and the Rod, the heck is that? Like, ugh, I don't want to listen to that. So it was always important to get the name back eventually if we could. And because of, of what's going on with uh, Four Soccer Ventures and the Soccer yeah. Collective backing, backing us, we made the decision to push forward and, and bring back the name. So let's talk about Four Soccer Ventures and the Soccer Collective. I'm sort of aware of them because you know i i keep an eye on the pod soccer podcast industry specifically it's almost like a little hobby of mine but i'm guessing most of our listeners may not have heard um about four soccer ventures and the soccer collective so what exactly is going on there well people may have heard if you are paying attention uh that uh, richie graham who is a part owner of the philadelphia union who is the man behind ysc academy which is the major uh developmental arm for the union which is why brendan aronson and mark mckenzie and uh 
and, and um, Anthony Fontana and all those players are coming through right now. Uh, he raised some money and started a a new soccer company, for lack of a better way of describing it. And um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not in the day to day. I'm not an executive. I'm just a, a guy doing a podcast with them. But my understanding is that there's two sides to the business. One of them is sort of the the cultural side, making podcasts, making video, making uh, doing written work, websites, stuff like that, like covering the game. And then the other side is more of um, sort of helping youth clubs in this country do the best they can be, the best they can be, right? Give them tools, um, partner with them, whatever that is. And that's called the Soccer Association, actually. Uh, and and so they wanted to make a mark. They wanted to elevate. Obviously, the timing with the World Cup coming in six years is certainly part of this as well. And I think they actually, just I want to talk about that for a second. Do you? Sure. Um, and I, sorry, I've interrupted you, but I'll let you continue in a sec. But I think it's really important, the 2026 thing. For me, Four Soccer Ventures is the, and then making a move like this, it's the first thing I've seen that's like the, 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 the grassrootsy type thing or the investment that is coming in advance of the 2026 World Cup. Yeah. I almost see it as like their first in, but all this stuff is going to come in the next six years. Oh, for sure. And I think that, you know, with, with since we haven't lived through a World Cup in this part of the world, we, we really don't know what to expect. But having at least been aware of 94, and I know, Daryl, you weren't here, so it was a little yeah. bit different experience for you. But being aware of 94, it was pretty immense. And in and having lived through World Cups, being in the United States and working in soccer and then World Cups happening in Brazil and and, and everywhere else, you the, the obviously the energy behind it is immense. I mean, I remember the first World Cup that I quote unquote covered, uh, meaning I was just a blogger. I didn't even have a full time job. I wasn't making much money doing soccer, but I was still in the in the sort of um, soccer culture world. People were sending me stuff all over the place. Like I, I had Javianas that they made for that World Cup in uh, in South Africa mm-hmm. in 2010 and like, all these things. And I was like, wow, this is. You know, it's just that engine that fires up around the World Cup, and and I can only imagine how much bigger and and louder it's going to be for 2026. And so, yeah, clearly, Four Soccer Ventures has this idea of building towards that. And one thing that was obviously appealing to us, and I think is is you know for me kind of one of my pet issues is that we in this country do a terrible job of trusting ourselves to make a soccer culture. We're just not for whatever reason, we can't get out of our heads when it comes to uh, being American. And I don't mean yeah. to be, I don't mean loud and boorish. Okay. I don't mean in the, the, the tourist abroad kind of way. I just mean like whatever way we do soccer, it kind of is okay. Um, you know, obviously you want to make good players. You want to teach them the right things. You want your clubs to be responsive and, and treat fans well and all those things. But beyond that, beyond those, the sort of right and wrong black and white issues, it's kind of whatever we make. Like, let we laugh at orange slices and minivans and upper 90 and some of the, the words that we use but that's okay like it's okay to say those things right i mean yeah. it's also okay if you want to say pitch and boots and uh, daryl i'm not going to get mad at you if you do okay <laughs> i will say but, i have never seen a soccer culture so self-conscious right? yes th- that's exactly that the problem we'll do things and then and then take a step back and be like oh am i doing it right did i say that wrong exactly um, yeah exactly. i i feel like that needs to go just for for the good of American soccer, that needs to go because you can't keep questioning yourself all the time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I've kind of been on the front lines, so to speak, of that fight for a long time. I remember when I was writing my blog, I I wrote this response piece to somebody who who wrote in in the UK version of GQ 
about the, the effectively calling Philadelphia Union fans LARPers, you know, that they were play acting European yeah. English, English hoodlums. And I wrote this response. It's one of the first things that kind of got me some notice. And so, yes, the self-conscious American attitude, we, we just don't believe in ourselves to do soccer right, has always bothered me. And for Soccer Ventures and this group, they're very much like no apologies for being American. You know, again, yeah. we want to play soccer well. We want to do certain things. We want to give everybody opportunity. There's stuff like that. There's built-in sexism, racism, uh, those kind of things that we have to squeeze out of the game uh, because that's that's right and wrong. But when it just comes to being American, it's fine. And Jared and I have never made any any attempts to be anything but ourselves, right? And I come from a world and 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 I grew up in a country where, you know, sports stuff is is kind of loud and and uh, aggressive is not the right word, but we're we're having fun with it and. Um, you know, we, again, we're very conscious of things like racism and sexism and, le- and not letting any of that trickle in, but beyond, because those were hallmarks of sports talk radio for a long time in this country. But beyond that, it's just about being like, okay, we're sort of proud to be American soccer fans. And even if, even if you don't like this, you know, well, we're not going to make any apologies. We're going to have some fun. It's, it, it, it's always been about that. And they, so the, the, their attitude about American soccer really did fit with sort of where we come from. Yeah, so it'd be nice if there's money invested into American soccer and money invested in a not, are we doing it right kind of way. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. And, maybe and, and it'd be nice by if the you way, could export some of that self-consciousness and just give like 10% of it to England. That'd be uh, Well, okay. I, I don't know. You could speak to that, Daryl. I'm not going to wade into those waters. But I would say that this doesn't mean, by the way, this doesn't mean that like, oh, we, we don't want any Brits involved in American soccer or, or anything xenophobic. I don't think it's anything xenophobic. Again, it's sort of just saying, and then look, there are obviously lots and lots of people who have come to this country and and gotten involved in American soccer who don't stand there with their nose in the air and say, you're doing it wrong. And, and you know, you're one of them. And I can name a bunch of people. And of course, that's great. We want all of that. We want and, and part of what it makes America America is that very thing. People coming here and adding to the culture. So it's it is I this idea. In that melting pot. Yeah, absolutely. Get in the melting pot, <laughs> swim around a little bit. You know, if it's too hot. But yeah, that's that's the idea is like, let's be. Let's be American rather than, especially since it's almost impossible because of the various cultures we have represented here to even pull it one thread and say, okay, let's be like the Germans. Well, well yeah. no. What about all those people over there who come from, their families come from Mexico? Well, okay, well, let's be more Mexican-American. Well, yeah, but what about the English influence? Okay, yeah. You know, we should be able to do all those things. Yeah, it's got to be a, a fusion of everything, right? It really does have to yes. be a melting pot version of it and you get the best of everything, hopefully, if, if you're doing it right. Yeah, which, which makes it hard, right? And and I know this isn't specifically about the best soccer show, and you can bring me back here in a second, but this yeah. is something I talk about a lot, that the the level of complexity for making uh, a unified soccer culture, and maybe we can't, right? Maybe we just have to acknowledge that we can't do a unified American soccer culture. And it, instead of thinking of that as a negative, think of it as, well, that's just uniquely American. The problem is is setting that up against the idea of, how good can we be internationally? And if we're all thinking about World Cups and we're thinking about winning World Cup, World Cup one day, it's going to really be a question of can we really do it? Like, can we do it? Because in Germany, they can say, oh, we had a bad World Cup and I'll pull in the same direction and four years later be world champions, right? Mm-hmm. That can't that can't happen with us. And and I don't even mean because we can't we don't have anything in the in the past like Germany does. I just mean you're never going to get with this vast amount of territory, with this unique set of cultures, with people all over the country, you're never going to get everybody to pull in the same direction. So how how do you maximize the country without without leaving anybody out? Because you don't want to do that either. 
Jason, if I could answer that question, um, yes. I'd be a very successful and wealthy man. Oh, I thought you were going to give me the uh, answer, Dale. Dang, I was here <laughs> for that. Okay. Well, do you know what? I'll have a go at the answer. Based on what we're doing right now under Ernie Stewart and Greg Berhalter, I would call it a Dutch-style system, right? That's the type of soccer they're looking to play. But I'd argue that a Dutch-style system doesn't mean that you just get all the Pennsylvania Dutch to play, right? <laughs> Especially because most of them are actually German, right? Exactly, Pennsylvania Dutch. exactly. Um, yes. But you don't just get the, <laughs> the Dutch-Americans to play the Dutch system. You can get uh, Americans of every ethnicity and every background playing that style of soccer and that that could work right so you can well, pick a system that's associated with a country and it still works for everybody that's a very positive viewpoint on the state of the men's national team i think for me one of the things is diving deeper and then going okay what about player identification or yes. how do we make sure everybody's represented what about representation with coaches okay you know, are black coaches getting an opportunity or are Latino coaches getting an opportunity? Are there places where there are little fiefdoms and certain state associations or clubs are in have too much? And by the way, this can happen anywhere in the world, but it's exacerbated here because of our lack of a cohesive culture. Right. Because in those little pockets, especially as we are still evolving as a country with a generation of, of soccer parents and soccer people who don't understand the game innately who have to come to it later and then only they trust people who sound like they know what they're talking about. And not every one of them is a charlatan, but it does mean that you are giving too much power to a couple of people in a country that sh it shouldn't be that way. Right. And I talk about this a lot. It's there's a cultural weight to the game in, in a Germany, in an England, in a France, in a Spain, in any of those, in a Brazil, in any of those countries. And Brazil's chaotic, right? And, and the soccer scene is, is messy and same thing in Argentina, but they managed to, kind of all go in the same place to the same place. They'll try to get to the same place because soccer matters so much. So you don't, you don't mess with the game at the basic level, right? You, you sort of let the game happen and you might say, well, I think we should play a four, three, three instead of a four, two, three, one or whatever it is, but you're not saying, well, I can do a better league than you, or I can do a bit, <laughs> but in the United States, that's the attitude and it's, it's capitalism. It's, it's the American viewpoint on everything. It's building a better mousetrap and it's lack of soccer cultural weight. People just think, oh, I can do better than that. And rather than working Within the system to better everything, they say, I'll just start a new system. And now we have six systems. And how do you put those together? Hey, this is Daryl jumping in to let you know that today's show is sponsored by Fubo TV. Jason and I are talking American soccer and MLS. If you love American soccer and MLS, Fubo TV has the channels for you. Major League Soccer is on Fox Sports and ESPN. All those channels are available via Fubo TV. U.S. national team games are on Fox Sports and ESPN. All those channels are available on Fubo TV. And if you want to dabble in some foreign football, then NBC Sports is also on Fubo TV. You can watch the Premier League. League Earn and La Liga are going to be on Beat in Sports. That's where you can find them. That's also on Fubo TV. We recommend the family plan where three people can watch at once. You get 30 hours of cloud DVR and you can upgrade to 500 hours of cloud DVR. To give it a try, go to fubo.tv slash TSS and you'll get a seven day free trial. That's fubo.tv slash TSS to start your free trial today. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my big um, disagreements with the people who just want to dismantle Major League Soccer is it's the most successful league so far in the history of the United States. Yeah. And if we're talking about cultural weight, it has the most right now. And I actually think we'd be better off if it just gets bigger, 
bigger, bigger and better, right? Rather well, than having it, a bunch of like semi-professional leagues, like crabs in a barrel. Yeah, I think that people people obviously get up against that barrier of, okay, can we actually get MLS to change? And yeah. when you're talking about the money that's there and the corporate mentality that exists in Major League Soccer, certainly people think, well, we can't get it to change. Why even bother? Tear the whole thing down. Now, I don't know how you actually get to tearing the whole thing down, maybe short of legal challenges. And that's another thing we have in this country that is that makes everything messy is is how the, the law works. Um, but but I think I think I think you're right. It's not that I think MLS is perfect. I just don't know how we start from zero again and get anywhere where near where we want to go before we're all dead. And then there's just a, the fact that, um, you know, Major League Soccer's influence in raising the level of awareness in the game. And you can argue that this is also about television and the world getting smaller and the Premier League being on TV and the Champions League and all that. That's true. And, and Mexican soccer as well. But Major League Soccer elevated the sport to a point where you can have a NISA. Because I'm not sure that NISA happens if there's no Major League Soccer. I know that doesn't seem like they're connected, but they are. They're, they're connected because there's now room beneath that first division where people go, well, what about my town? Right. People weren't going, what about my town 30 years ago? They just weren't. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um, and people didn't have the opportunity to go on the field and, uh, and get kicked in the head. <laughs> no, no, not at all no, none of that <laughs> all right i will pivot us back to four soccer ventures and best soccer show um is the show going to change from from what we knew like was the did four soccer ventures um or the soccer collective i'm not sure exactly which umbrella you're you're under did they sit down and say hey we have a vision for your show or is it just jason and jared do your thing it's, i think it's a series of of overlapping umbrellas mm-hmm. or something like that i'm not quite sure i, as I understand long as you don't it get wet, it's good right exactly um no, the, the the basic way to say it, the the simplest answer is no. The show's not going to change. I mean, Jared and I certainly aren't different, except older, and maybe that's going to change. I mean, our personalities will come to bear in different ways, maybe. But in terms of the the tone of the show, no, it's not going to change. I mean, we we do have some because they're now backing us. We have the ability to maybe reach out into the soccer world, get a better caliber of guests occasionally. Yeah. Um, you know, for I the last a lot night, of Philadelphia Union guests on the first couple shows. Yeah, I'm sure you can connect some dots there. <laughs> um, you know, when we start, when we restarted doing this under JD and the Rod back in October of last year, there was no guests weren't really part of the the equation. We thought, yeah. okay, we'll do it. We'll, we'll do it once a week. It'll be us together, just doing our thing. And and really, that's what we loved, and that's what we wanted to do. It's not that we're against guests. We certainly did have them on the old show, and and they're going to be obviously a part of the new one. But it was that wasn't the central part of the show that wasn't what made the show the show and uh, so i think that you know moving forward it's going to be a balance of that i mean if we can get great guests we certainly will i mean i we made a wish list and it's interesting you know there's some names on it um i want the i want to talk to those people and i want to talk to to them in that setting even if i also sometimes get to talk to them in a radio setting so that's part of it but beyond that no i mean i think we we wanted to make sure that we got to continue doing call-in shows that was always a feature of the best soccer show in the back in the day and you know it's still not something that people can do i mean again i'm on the radio you can call me up and talk about it from 12 to 3 eastern time but there's not a lot of that call-in feature in american soccer and it's not a slight against anybody but we something it's something we liked doing so with the ability to do it we're going to mix it in so we're going to do the show live we record it live and then it comes out as a podcast after that i will say that was always my favorite part of the old best soccer show was the call-ins because it had, I mean, even if it was, you know, I'm listening to it as a podcast, so it's not actually live because it's recorded live. I feel like there's like, um, there's an element of danger 
right? Yeah. Like you don't know who's going to call in yeah. and what they're going to say. And I always used to quite enjoy when you would, um, I think this just got, you, you listen to, I assume a lot of maybe that talk radio type stuff, right? Yeah. Where you is. just, you seem to know when, okay, that's enough. We're cutting this person off kind of thing. Uh, well, I do get, I do get, has it been a while, but I have been accused in the past of being too quick with the, with, with the hang up button. However, I will say that, you know, you, especially in radio, time is at a, it's a premium, you know, yeah. and you, you just can't let people hang and hang and hang and hang and hang. But, but yeah, you know, that, that's something we do. Uh, maybe on the podcast, we let people go a little bit longer. It is a bit more casual. It's not, we don't have sort of the pressure of a clock the way that radio does. Where I have to hit a certain break or whatever. So I get, I feel more free and we, we create, you know, we create bonds with people. We've got regulars. I mean, I think that's part of the fun of the show is that we have a history with, a certain set of, of fans that have called yeah. over and over and over again. I mean, people love years. being part of the show, right? People love having their voice on the air. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these days, back in the day, uh, with the original Best Soccer Show, I had to run two instances of Skype on my system. And if you called, I would see your phone number and I would cue people up like, oh, uh, 712 is on the air. And then they would have to know it was them. Oh, yeah, my, my area code 712. I better talk. <laughs> and then eventually what happened was because they called so often, Skype... I realized you could save somebody's, you know, you could save them as a contact basically in Skype. And so I would do that and then they would come up in Skype. Oh, Steve in Milwaukee. And then I would put Steve in Milwaukee on the air. I see. Nowadays, we actually have a screener. We have Nick Suberling yes. in Cincinnati or Toledo rather doing our screening. So that, that is one thing that's changed. You, you asked me about changes. I forgot to mention Nick. So Nick is screening all the calls and putting them through. He's doing that. He's also running like the graphic stuff on our live uh, show, which is on YouTube. So it's visual. You can actually see me and Jared. And the last couple guests we've had have been via video. Brendan Aronson, uh, Poppy Miller came on and she was via video. Um, so th that's a little bit of an extra element in there as well. Yes. I like, I like Nick a lot. I like his, his Cincinnati show as well. Oh uh, yeah. He's got a very good show there on FC Cincinnati with, uh, couple of guys uh, from from there. And then Michael LaHood, former MLS uh, player, is, is on that show these days. We just, Jared and I just did that show. We took over because that's what we do. But <laughs> we just did that show the other day. Nick is a very good broadcaster. So is Nick, has Nick taken a lot of the tech stuff off of your fingers? Like, are you not having to do anything while the show's happening? The only thing that I do is, well, I, I, I actually pull the calls up. He screens them. I pull them up. I put them on the air. But also... You know, one feature of our show has always been a soundboard. Um, it, mm -hmm. it definitely, I recognize it's cheesy and you kind of have to be in on the joke to understand why it's funny. And I know that's not for everybody, but I think it's, it's adds a little spice, um, to the show. And when Jared says something crazy, I get to play something that indicates, you know, Hey, maybe you've gone too far. Um, you know, all in good fun. So I run that. I run the soundboard and I do the, I put the calls on the air. But other than that, no, it's, it's all Nick. And does, does Jared do essentially nothing except talk? Exactly. Yeah. And that's why he likes it. You know, Jared yeah. shows, he, his, 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 he, he's always said, like, don't even tell me what we're going to talk about. I'm just going to show up. You're going to ask me a question and it's going to go off the top of my head. And that's what makes Jared, Jared, it makes him entertaining. It's kind of, he, he, again, he knows the background of things. He's paid attention. He watches the games. But in terms of like, he doesn't want to overthink his reactions. He wants them to be natural. And I think that's part of, what makes the show interesting. I, you know, I think that gives it a little bit of that element of danger that you were talking about earlier. <laughs> danger zone. Um, so I know that you can't speak for him, but I'm assuming he's excited to be back doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's some rust that comes with not doing anything for a while. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't doing any podcasts yeah. during the time off. He was just living his life. 
in uh, in Southern California. So for him, it's you know it's getting back on the bike and proving that you know how to ride it again. Um, but I think it's I think it's pretty good. I he has been excited to do it. I think he likes the community aspects of it, and uh, you know he gets to. He he gets to dive back into the soccer world because he did kind of step away for a while. So I think it's uh, I think it's good for him. And uh, with everything else going on in the world, you know, it's it's also another opportunity to sort of just enjoy life and enjoy people that that have the same interests as you. Because you know, some sometimes that's tough right now. So, um, wh- how often a week are you guys doing it? I'm sorry, I wasn't sure if it was once or twice a week. So in the in the earliest days of the show, I don't remember how often we did it. We did go to two week two shows a week at one point, and we're doing two shows a week now. Now I say I'll say th- I'll say that with a caveat. The caveat is that we are doing two two man shows a week for the moment, but that might change in the future. I mean, there will always be a live show with me and Jared at least once a week, but there may be some other stuff. And speaking of those interviews, there may be longer form opportunities for me to do things under the best soccer show umbrella. Speaking of umbrellas, just throw another <laughs> one underneath there. Um, things that I want to do and, 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 uh, specifically, uh, you know, I, I want to talk to Greg Berhalter. I want to talk to Ernie Stewart. I want to talk to Brian McBride. I want to talk to the players. I want to talk to, uh, Black Kwanenowski. I want to do all that stuff. That sort of, you know, newsy soccer stuff. But I also want to talk to people like, I would love to have you and, and Taylor on and talk about your journey and talk about how you guys started in public radio in Richmond and how you got to where you are now and the athletic and everything else. Like, I would love to do that conversation under the best soccer show banner, and I think that's what we're going to get to do. All right, we'll have uh, have your people call our people. I will, yes, yeah, directly <laughs> to your people. Have you got any sort of um, ambitions to do anything that you've never been able to do before? Like now that you've got, I assume, a bit of backing from the soccer collective. Um, apart from interviews, is there anything bigger that you uh, like have ambitions to do? Yeah, you know, without going to to behind the scenes on this, there have been some discussions. Um, about doing some other projects and and i don't know maybe they'd be best soccer show branded products and maybe they wouldn't be maybe they would be something else i do but i've i've i have always wanted to do uh something narrative or if not narrative then at least something that is uh, more evergreen than what we tend to do yeah you know you and you know as soon as you record a show there's a chance it's going to be out of date or you do a show and three days later no matter what happens it's out of date yeah i would love to be able to do some of that stuff i mean um I'm very jealous of Grant Wall right now because he's working on the Freddie Adu podcast, yes. which is something I've always really wanted to be uh, to get my hands on and, and to do. But that's fine. I'm, Grant's great and he'll do a good job with it. I think stuff like that, though, um, behind the scenes stuff, uh, stories, stuff like that. I, I would love to do that. Maybe maybe some history mixed in there. Um, you know, that's what the Freddie Adu thing is. But certainly, you know, just telling stories from from history of American soccer guests or no guests and, and, and doing a better job of celebrating some of the stuff that we just talked about, like the self-conscious element of it. It's like, well, if it happened pre-1995, then it must have been terrible. Or if it didn't happen in the NASL in the original days, well, it must have been terrible. Well, no. I mean, you know, again, people have been playing soccer in this country for 120 years, just like everybody else. It's just, what do we pick and choose to tell? And then how do we get that information, right? Because it's always about research. So, Jason, I've got some questions for you from our listeners um, as Ooh. well. Right? We can't have them call in because Nick's not here. To, uh, <laughs> I've, got, I've got some listener questions. That okay. I to well, should I be? I feel like I should be worried because I listen to when you guys take questions. I listen. These are always very smart, very you know, very um, 
these questions always kind of push you to to really think about things. So should I be worried? I've chosen things that are deliberately in your wheelhouse, and I've shared uh, the document with you, right? So you know what's coming. Okay. We're not going. So we're not talking about the situation of Barcelona or PSG's failed project of no, Champions League glory. No, I've, okay, I've saved those for for me and Taylor. I've saved those oh. for me and Taylor. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. First question for you comes from someone who's actually a friend of mine, um, Adam Burse. Um, he wants to know what does the term hipster connote in soccer, and is the Bundesliga still? hipster i thought this would be a perfect question for you jason i think that i'm going to answer the second part first okay. and say there's no way the bundesliga is hipster anymore now i agree you you can you can argue that certain clubs individually might still fall under the hipster uh banner but you can't put dortmund there anymore no. not not in a million years right so because they're title challenges because you can yes. watch them because they've had pulisic and now they have Reina and yeah there's like an american reason to watch them there's a big club reason to watch them yes yeah. i mean the, the erling holland and and everything that they've got going and even when they sell their best players to to bayern or whatever they still can reload it's still yeah it's still a thing um and you know Jaden sancho is the hottest commodity in the world and he's playing at, at dortmund he, he can't be hipster if that's the case you can be hipster if you're in the second division in germany absolutely so that's again not not bundesliga and we know there are those things for me for me obviously hipster was always and i don't think i've thought about this term in a long time daryl but i think it's always been that that it, it all underappreciated had to be the first thing about it right like like oh it's this is not if you are just a casual fan if you and and that means different things in different parts of the world but if you're a casual soccer fan you probably don't know a whole lot about this i mean remember when bielsa was hipster is he still hipster he can't be right i mean he's, he's gonna be all over him. the premier league broadcast very very soon so exactly probably exactly not. all right he's not, he can't be once he's in the prem but even even at leeds it's kind of like well you know when he was at uh, Athletic Bilbao, or when he did this or that. Okay, maybe because he, in part because people will. There was also the 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 dawning of the technical, the tactical awareness era, like where everybody was suddenly very interested in tactics yeah. and and learning about them. And we can thank Michael Cox for that, and all mm -hmm. kind, and you guys on on Total Soccer Show for for bringing up that awareness. And then that became well, Marcelo Bielsa is is interesting tactically. So every, that now he's hipster because. He played the game a different way, but his his way of playing has also become sort of in vogue everywhere, Daryl. So that I think that would take away from it too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing the thing this gets to for me is what the term hipster means and whether it's a pejorative or not. And I oh, would say the okay. the pejorative version of it is someone who is um, saying they like something or deciding to like something just because it would make them look good, right? So you're I going see. looking I for see. something that no one else is enjoying and saying, oh, I enjoy this. Look how mm -hmm. cool and ahead of the curve I am. But I don't right. think it always has to be pejorative in that term, right? I think I think some people genuinely do just enjoy watching, say, Feyenoord games instead of the Premier League. Sure, sure. Yeah, I think that's true. I I know there is a pejorative element to it. I guess I never really considered myself hipster, so I never thought about that side of it. But I do know it's been thrown out. Yeah. As yeah, oh look at all these hipsters, and and you know, oh you're watching, uh, I don't know, you're watching Austrian football. You <laughs> you know how how cool are you or whatever? Yeah, I, I I see what you're saying. Um, I also think that just at least in in our our part of the world here in the United States. That because the general and maybe this is maybe because I live in a bubble, I'm not quite the perfect person to answer this, but it feels like the general knowledge has risen to a point where maybe there aren't so many of those 
um, like ahead of the curve, uncovered kind of things happening yeah. as much as I, there used to be? I think it's because there are so many Americans abroad in interesting situations. Um, okay. Like watching RB Salzburg three years ago, I think would have been considered hipster. But now that Jesse Marsh is the coach, it's yeah. kind of just within our sphere of interest, right? So I, sure. I think sure. um, being an American soccer fan gives you like a genuine reason or an excuse or just some some like uh some arrows pointing you towards something that would have been underappreciated in hipster but now jesse marsh is there so let's watch some austrian bundesliga yeah, that makes sense i think that makes sense yeah and then there may be still opportunities for american soccer fans to be hipster but you're not going to get away with uh with arsenal or even wolves now no. <laughs> yeah regular top 10 finishes in the premier league right Ex- wow what what heady days for your for your <laughs> wolverhampton are. They genuinely are. Yeah. Um, yeah so yeah to answer adam's question i would say right now to be super hipster would be to watch an obscure team with no, with no americans in it so if you were watching like a yeah. a league um and there's not even an american on the team you're watching that would be very hipster yeah, if you yeah, if you if you keep what well, and, and I suppose you could have uh, come to a club because of an American. Americans leave, and then you sort of back your way into being a hipster because you're yeah. still a fan of the club without an American there. You're, just fully, sure. you're all in. You're all in. There you go. All right. Yeah. Next question comes from Kenneth Sidon. Kenneth wants to know. It, this feels like the big question, Jason. What is the realistic top end that Major League Soccer can reach? Mm, how much time do we have, Daryl? Um, okay. I I I'm generally positive about the future of American soccer in in the general sense, meaning that I think that the talent level that's coming into the national team is is fairly unique. And while I don't think it's going to win us a World Cup, we can get back to the top of Concacaf. And I don't think a you know quarterfinal berth or even a semifinal berth is out of the question in the next two World Cups. I really believe that. Yeah, um, it takes the right it. coach. It takes a lot of things. There's a lot of still variables at play with the playing time for some of these kids. And Josh Sargent needs to get better. That kind of stuff. But I'm very positive about that. Major League Soccer, I'm positive about the future of Major League Soccer, too. I mean, I think it's hard not to be when you see stadiums popping up all over the place, new expansion teams, et cetera, et cetera. However, the expansion era is going to end. It has to. It's just a matter of math. I I don't know if it's going to be at 30. I think it kind of should be. But who knows? At some point, the expansion era comes to a close and you're not bringing in $500 million in fees anymore and you're not building new stadiums. And now you have to just make do with what you've got it's good and there's a bright future ahead but there are some some serious barriers there are ceilings in place that will prevent major league soccer from going beyond a certain level and i think the biggest one and this is true for mexico by the way and they've been dealing it with it for 50 years now they're not in europe yep. major league soccer can't not cannot participate in the champions league barring some gigantic shift in how we do international competition or barring the club world cup becoming the most important club competition in the world, which I don't think it's going to happen. Major League Soccer just can't be part of that. And that's going to, it has a couple of impacts. Number one, players who want to play in the Champions League aren't going to come to Major League Soccer because they can't play in the Champions League. So you're just limiting the total amount of talent that you can get. The, there will be players who come through as a stepping stone, as we're seeing now with Amiron and Rossi and, and those kind of things. And that's, those are great players. I'm glad they're here. And they're going to elevate Major League Soccer. And Major League Soccer may rise to a to a almost Eredivisie-like level in terms of development as term, in terms of a selling league. I, I think that would be great. But that's probably where we're talking the ceiling is, again, sort of barring some some dramatic shift in, in the money in the game or, or where, I mean, UEFA's got all the power in this situation. Everybody looks to, to Europe. Even 
you could argue the Copa Lib's great. And if Major League Soccer and CONCACAF team up with Comma Bowl and create some sort of massive club competition that could be rivaling the Champions League one day, but it would take a long time for that to happen because you still don't have as great as Boca Juniors and River Plate and and uh, Santos and the Mexican clubs are. You don't have Bar- Barcelona and Bayern Munich and Real Madrid and Manchester United. In- you just don't have those clubs. That That's my thought. I'm 100% with you. I don't think it's possible for MLS to overtake the big European leagues or obviously the UEFA Champions League because that that's just going to be the place. What I do think is possible in our lifetimes, Jason, is if some of the spending limits come off, which it really just takes like to have a majority of owners who are more Arthur Blank and want to spend, right? If, yeah. If finally that there's that tipping point is reached and the salary cap is either removed or it's raised massively, I think it's genuinely really, really possible that MLS becomes the best and biggest league um, in the Americas. That I think is very possible. Um, I don't know if I have a context of what that means, though, because... First of all, Daryl, who's the what's the biggest league in the Americas right now? I honestly don't know, but I'm guessing it's Brazil or Argentina. Okay, well, I think that in terms of legacy and history and and the big clubs, I think that's true. But I also think that in terms of competitive level and maybe even money, Mexico's the biggest league in the Americas. But we don't think of Mexico as competitive with any of the top five leagues in Europe. And you could maybe go down to 10, 11, 12 before you go, okay, that's where Mexico fits in. Obviously, Major League Soccer is well behind Mexico at the moment. But even if Mexico, or even if Major League Soccer over uh, surpasses Mexico, because surpasses Liga MX, and gets into that conversation as the biggest league in the Americas, there's still ten, eight, seven, at least five leagues in Europe that are well ahead. So yeah, it's 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 a little bit of both of those things. I mean, European leagues think of Brazil and Argentina as places to go buy talent. They don't think of them as a place to watch soccer very often. Do you know what I mean? I do, but I still think there are some like very, very good teams. Like I, I think teams like uh, Corinthians or Flamengo would beat a lot of Liga MX teams. Oh no, sure, that that's true. There are and and the top couple of teams in Brazil and the top top couple of teams in Argentina are still great, and and those leagues those leagues being top heavy is you know something that maybe works to the detriment of the total league, but is is you know we we celebrate everything that Boca Juniors and River Plate bring in that derby and what Brazil has in terms of of pure. But again, the best players in those countries, as soon as they can leave for Europe. And and that's going to be Major League Soccer, too. It's not Mexico right now. I think Mexico still is trying to figure out if they can become that kind of league, if they want to become that kind of league. Uh, But I just that's that and that whole dynamic. And this is by the way, this is also why I do think you're likely to see as MLS pushes into these partnerships with the Mexican league, more discussion. And we remember when Ricardo Silva was conceptualizing this massive champions league for North and South America. Yeah. We're going to hear more about those things. I don't know if Silva is going to be the guy to make it happen, but we'll hear more about those kinds of ideas or about combining the, the CONCACAF champions league and the Copa League, because the only way for CONCACAF and Bowl to have any hope of one day, catching or competing with Europe is to do that. That's the only way it happens. And I think that while you could accept your lot in life and just be what you are, that's not how football executives think. And that's certainly not how major league soccer thinks. So there's always going to be a chase on. And then long-term, maybe they could be thinking of like forcing a merger. So it becomes the global champions league. Sure. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure that has been discussed in whispered in some hall somewhere 
in New York, in Zurich. It's 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 been talked about, sure, but we're not we're obviously not there yet. So who knows? Not quite, but it's going to be fun watching and finding out. Hey, this is Daryl jumping in before we get to the next question, and I promise you, it's a really good question. It's about changing moments in soccer history. But before we talk about that, today's show is sponsored by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. You've heard us talk about HelloFresh before. They offer convenient delivery right to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. It all comes in a nice temperature-controlled box. You open it up, and there it is. All of your meals, perfectly portioned, ready to cook. And when you look at the ingredients, you'll feel good knowing that 90% of the ingredients in a HelloFresh box are sourced directly from growers to ensure the freshest recipes are delivered right to your door. You might also feel good knowing that HelloFresh donated over 2.5 million meals to charity in 2019. And this year, 2020, they're stepping up food donations to local communities amid the coronavirus crisis. And if even I can put together a meal from a HelloFresh box, then I'm sure that you can too. To get $80 off your first month of HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash ATTSS and use code ATTSS. You'll get $80 off your first month, including free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. Once again, it's HelloFresh.com slash ATTSS and use the code ATTSS for $80 off your first month. Thank you to HelloFresh. Let's get back to the questions with Jason Davis. Um, Okay, next question. John Martin. Oh, Jason, if you could intervene and change history at one and only one soccer moment, what would that moment be and what would you change? And I'm going to give us some cover here by saying... I'm assuming John is in, interested in like on the field soccer results type stuff. So there are all kinds of tragedies that have happened in soccer. I'm assuming we can't intervene in the tragedies. Right. I, I, well, that, that gets into some pretty heavy stuff. We're yeah. going to keep it light. And it's a less fun <laughs> conversation. Right. Yeah. Um, I, man, I, I think I'm, I'm not going to be unique among American soccer fans when I, when I say that I want, Torsten Fring's hand not to be there and I want the ball to go into the back of the net so that the United States can and and you know that wouldn't have guaranteed a victory over Germany in that World Cup I mean it it would have only drawn the game at that point uh we're drawn at level 1-1 and who knows maybe the United States doesn't maybe maybe Germany scores an extra time maybe they go to penalties and the United States loses I, I have no idea but I would love to know what happens if if that ball goes in the back of the net. So this because, is 2002 World Cup quarterfinal. Yes. Sorry, I didn't quite give all the context there. I said Torsten Springs and just accepted, expecting everybody oh, to. <laughs> 99% of listeners will have known exactly what you're talking about, but there's someone somewhere who wasn't yeah. aware for that, right? I mean, there's also this this thing too that that exists in sort of the um, the proto era of Jason's soccer fandom. And, and I was already 22 at that point, but... Uh, you know, I've told the story that I was a typical American soccer kid. I played a little bit when I was young, um, but I also was, I was a military brat. We moved around, and at one point, I I played on a team that was just terrible with terrible coaching, and I hated it, and I quit, and I sort of lost soccer for a while. And you know, this the '90s were my formative years, and while I was aware of the World Cup, I just didn't dive into it as much as I should have. While I was aware of the, the early days of Major League Soccer, I was also a teenager trying to to meet girls and get good grades and all of those things and go to college. So I did, it wasn't until I emerged into my early twenties 
and the 2002 World Cup comes along and, you know, I'm I'm old enough to go out drinking and, you know, you have an excuse to get up in the morning and go watch soccer and, and drink a beer. Um, and I did those things. And so for that, for me, that is seminal. And that moment in that World Cup with that particular team, who I've certainly mythologized a little bit in my head. But I just love that group of players. I love uh, Reyna and um, John O'Brien and Brian, Brian McBride at the just before he got to Fulham. It was even, he was not Fulham yet. Um, you know, even Tony Sana up and down the wing, just this long, lanky fullback. You know, I I don't know. I just love that team, and I would love to see what would happen. So I almost had a similar answer. I was going to intervene in some England penalty shootouts in okay. 1990 okay. or 1996, <laughs> yeah. but I was thinking. Butterfly effect. I really like where the England team is at now. And the coach right now is Gareth Southgate, who's one of the men who missed one of those penalties. He missed in Euro 96, and it's kind of formative for him. So I'm not going to change anything in case I ruin the present of the England team. It's one of the few good things I've got going for me right now. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay. So you don't, yeah. you don't, you don't want to, okay. Gareth Southgate might not be manager. You might not be here. That's interesting. Yeah, it's right? valuing I, the knows, present right? over the past. Okay. I, I've seen the Ashton Krishna film. Terrible, terrible things can happen <laughs> if you interfere. <laughs> um, but a more recent thing that I would meddle with is the final day of CONCACAF World Cup qualifying in October Ooh. 2017. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I would either, this is basically the same answer, I would either have Clint Dempsey's shot not hit the post but go in and make it Trinidad 2, USA 2, and we qualify, or I would have goal line technology look at Gabby Torres' equalizer right. for Panama, yeah. Which yeah. definitely did not go over the line, did, did it? Did not. Did not go over the line. I just went back and no. watched it to prep to make sure I hadn't imagined that. It's what? not even close to going over the line. You you also have the option of saving Omar Gonzalez the, the, the shame of the own goal if you wanted to. I mean, I don't know. You know, you want to give Clint Dempsey's goal, but, but you but could Dempsey's, also... Dempsey's goal is late in the game. I could save Omar Gonzalez that one time. He could do it again five minutes later. You're right. That's certainly true. You could. You, you <laughs> risk more than It's only one side. moment, right? That's all John has allowed us. I can't control Omar's legs for the entire game. Well, I do like that you're you're looking for for as much certainty as you can get out yeah. of your your change. You wanted that late goal because then the United States would go through. It was with a draw, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, in this case, I'm I'm looking for something to change that might not change the outcome of the game, which I know is not necessarily <laughs> the wisest move. I have all this power, and I'm not even going to use it as efficiently as I could. Because <laughs> <laughs> I also think what's happened is, because of the failure to qualify in uh, 2017, we had that whole lost year of 2018, and we kind of had the fan base turn against US soccer, and they've been more down on Greg Behalter than I think they should be, because there's so much resentment at what US soccer have been doing in like in failing the first time and uh failing to do anything for it for a year or so and I kind yeah. of think it's it for me at least it's slightly soured the experience it's made people very bitter about the men's national team for the mm -hmm. last couple of years and no, yes, I think that's yes. a real shame when we've got all these young up-and-coming players because it should be a time of positivity right well and there I, shouldn't I, we... be there shouldn't be negativity towards like Michael Bradley and Josie Altador who weirdly got too much blame for all that so I think essentially we could save ourselves a lot of unhappiness by having, let's say, having Clint Dempsey's shot go in. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I, I wonder if the program, and this is what people were arguing before we missed that World Cup, that maybe we need to miss a World Cup to shake up the system. I hated that idea. I thought it was a disaster waiting to happen. 
At the same time, standing here in 2020, obviously we didn't know about a pandemic and everything else. You could argue that maybe some good good did come of it. I don't know if it was worth missing out on the World Cup, but maybe some good did come of it. So maybe you'd be changing some of that. But I do think, yes, Michael Bradley, Josie Altador don't deserve all the hate that they get for that that lack of qualification. And also that idea that we need to be more positive is part of why I'm glad that the best soccer show is coming back right now because we are on the verge of that. And there's no guarantee that this young group comes together and does anything remarkable, but we should be excited about the amount of talent that exists in the U.S. men's national team player pool. And the best soccer show is an opportunity for us to kind of get people's spirits up a little bit on the American frontier. Yeah, the time is now, right? And I think, yeah, even if maybe they don't succeed, it feels very possible. You can't watch Tyler Adams or Weston McKinney play or watch Christian Pulisic play and not feel like something is possible. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, and Gio Reyna, 17 years old. I don't know, I don't know what he's ready for yet, Daryl, but I'm excited. And and many, many more coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, and to tie our two things together as well, I think American soccer needs heroes. And after 2002, Bruce Arena was a hero. And after 2017, he was yeah. not so much a hero. And I think that's one of the, the, big, the big sad things for me is that his legacy has been kind of tarnished. Um, and he would have been this sort of great old man of American soccer, and it's just had the edge taken off of it. That's that's a good point. Yeah, the legacy has changed, and now and now, yeah, that that is disappointing because we we do need those figures. I mean, it, we we because of the spotty history of the game in this country, we haven't really had those guys that sort of raised above the game and became yeah. uh, became those those heroes, those legends that we get to celebrate and you know celebrate without having to to look carefully and and pick them apart and those kind of things. Yeah. I don't know. And Bruce is one of those non-apologetic guys as well, right? He's not self-conscious he not. about American soccer. <laughs> he is. Uh, no, he's he's an interesting character for sure. <laughs> okay, next question comes from Finn Norson. Um, Finn says, with Blaise Matuidi's recent move to David Beckham's into Miami, which other end-of-era players would you like to see at which MLS clubs and why? Wow, this is this one is... Man, I don't know if I can do this off the top of my... Do it justice off the top of my head, Daryl, because... There are many, many possibilities. I mean, I'm. I thought Luis Suarez was ready to leave. Yeah. I thought he was. I, and it was what last year, eighteen months ago. It looked like he had taken this dip in form, and you thought, okay, he's you know what he's he's in his early thirties. Thirty three, I believe he is. Yeah, he's in his early thirties. Maybe it's time for Luis Suarez to to say, okay, enough of this high pressurized European environment. I'll take my talents to to South Beach. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe he does that, and and. You know, uh, it's the gateway to Latin America, it's David Beckham, it's the glitz and the glamour, and while Luis Suarez maybe isn't the most glamorous player in the world, he certainly is a a fantastic player, and he would have brought immediate attention to Inter Miami, and then he got better, or he his game, you know, went back to its uh, previous level, and I mean, now Barcelona's in a completely different situation that we we don't have time to get into, but at the time, I, I, I don't know, I thought that maybe that was the move, I'm not so sure now, um, they need a striker in Miami. If I, we can make it about Major League Soccer and, and less about the name for a second, so I would love to see a, a some sort of top level striker come to to MLS. But I also don't. I'm also sort of generally uncomfortable with the idea of picking out an older player, yeah, an end end of his era player, and say, yeah, come to our league. And even if you can be great, like Wayne Rooney, I I don't know that I would have ever argued that Wayne Rooney should come to Major League Soccer. But when he was here, I enjoyed him. And I was happy that he was here and he was putting in the effort and trying to make DC United better. 
So it's almost like I have to respond to these things rather than sort of be proactively like, yes, Edison Cavani, bring him over. Mm-hmm. Not sure that that's where I am. So yeah, I, I was thinking in the Wayne Rooney mold that it, I wanted a feisty player coming over. Okay. And I think I would send Jamie Vardy to DC United. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Jamie Vardy he... would not mess around, right? He would come over and he would be running people down and doing his Jamie Vardy things. He would. He'd be a little, uh, he'd be Robbie Keenish, right? Yes. Just in terms of the attitude on the field. Yep. I think that's probably true. I had a thought. I had another thought. And again, not sure where he is if he's ready for it. But I, I love a bulldog in the middle of the field. What about Arturo Vidal? I don't sure what club though that I want to play to play for. I, again, I keep thinking Miami, but that's literally just because of the South American connection. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be Miami. And I also get into this trap of going, well, what team is realistic for a player like Vidal? Like he's not going to end up in Columbus. They might not need him, but he's not going to end up in Columbus. Yeah. He's going to end up in New York, Miami, L.A. You could maybe Toronto, maybe Toronto. In fact. Hey, maybe that's what it is. Michael I'm, Bradley's. I'm seeing up Seattle. There. I don't know why, Seattle. but I just see Vidal charging people down in Seattle. Well, okay, so they have Gustav Svensson. They have Christian Roldan. Yeah. Uh, they have yeah. They, he he could be he could bring back the sort of. I mean, they're still good. They won a championship uh-huh. with, without Ozzy Alonso, but he could bring back the the bite of Ozzy Alonso and obviously a different skill set for a player at 33. So yeah, just in that just in that range. I think um, if we are going to do this and it has to be an older player, I think that current Barcelona team is, there's a rich people <laughs> there. Like if someone wants a high quality center back, then maybe right. Gerard Piquet is, you know, is available. He's even offered to to move on if Barcelona need to need to rebuild. So Barcelona is oh. a possibility. And of course, there's always Mr. Lionel Messi. There is Lionel Messi. I mean, look, that's, that's a dream level thing. Yeah. Um, I had this debate with somebody about Messi. In fact, on our last, not our last episode, but the one before that, we're doing a lot of episodes. We posed the question, uh, and it really only became, came up because I think I had heard Jurgen Klopp was maybe talking about uh, coaching out his contract and then taking a break, right? I'd heard that. I don't know if that's true. Don't know if he's actually going to step away from the game. But my thought was, hey, if he's going to coach out his contract at Liverpool and needs a break, maybe Major League Soccer can serve as the break and he can just come here and be in MLS for a while. So we pose the question, which one would you rather have, Jurgen Klopp in MLS or Lionel Messi in MLS? Messi now, every time. Okay. I, I think that obviously his his profile, despite the fact he's not the most personable guy, I mean, he's not going to go sell a bunch of stuff for you. He's not going to be on late night television. But because he is who he is, it would have a massive impact. I just, uh, again, this sort of like what club makes sense for him and, and how much would MLS have to bend to make to make it work with Lionel Messi? I think actually, if I understand correctly, the David Beckham move is what created the designated player spot, right? Yes. Like there well, was no other they, way to pay him other than to create yes. the designated player spot, and that's how we pay him. I that's honestly think that Major League Soccer would create any new rule they needed to make to get Lionel Messi (laughs) in the league. And I don't think it would be the wrong thing to do. No, it probably wouldn't. And, you know, sometimes MLS, and I I certainly come down on MLS when it comes to some of the the rules that they have in place governing salaries and signings. And it, it gets really complicated, and I think it's hard for people to follow. But one thing that they do have sort of built in this system is we can change it at any time. Yeah. Like we we can change the rules anytime we want. If you got David Beckham, we'll make a new rule. You got Lionel Messi, okay, new rule. It's just a matter of 
of how much and who does it. And I'm that that I think would be fascinating if he was actually interested in coming over. How much would it take and who would step up to pay him? I mean, I would love to see him come over, uh, obviously, because it would just get a lot of attention on Major League Soccer, right? The numbers for TV broadcasts would, I imagine, go absolutely through the roof, um, both within the US and globally. I'd wanna, I would want to see him on a good team. It would be embarrassing for Messi to be on a bad team and look like he was trying to carry the team every week and it not quite working. You know, like, like an extreme version of him on some not great Argentina teams. Um, yeah. I would love to see him on an, like an Atlanta that has spent the money on Messi and spends the money on the rest of the team. And suddenly you've got like a, almost a New York Cosmos style all-star team with Leo, Leo Messi leading the charge. That would be fascinating. Uh, yeah. I, if, uh, maybe, I don't know if they could hold on to PT Martinez and, and still keep Leo and have Leo Messi come in, but that would be, the Messi that would rule, be something could. else. Yeah, that would be something else. <laughs> and then if, if, look, people tuned in, they'd see 70,000 people cheering on Leo Messi in Major League Absolutely. Soccer. That's true. They, they fill the place up every single time. It would be a great backdrop for that. He'd be playing on turf, which is just a little bit iffy. Just a little bit iffy. I'd, I'd put grass in for Lionel to play on. I'd personally <laughs> like, go and lay that grass. Mr. Blank, please go down to Home Depot, pick up all the sod <laughs> you can get, throw it down. I mean, we don't want it to be that loose, like temporary stuff that the European teams get when they come over, but yeah. But yeah. <laughs> oh, we've got a question next about a less successful franchise. Today's final question comes from Richard Rolson. Um, Richard says, I've become a real fan of Major League Soccer in the last five years. Before that, I read things about the league every now and then, but didn't really follow any team. Since I started following MLS, I often hear or read references to Chivas USA and what a failure that experiment was. Can you explain why Chivas USA failed as a club? Could it have worked? Could something similar work in the future? Jason, what do you remember about Chivas USA? I think that this was a bad idea from the very beginning, but that said, and we'll come to what it was and why it didn't work, but that said, there were some decent years for Chivas USA, okay? When we say they were a failed experiment, we mean because they ultimately were shut down by the league and because really they didn't have enough fans to sustain them. And, and that's where the bad idea part of it comes into play. On the field, they actually had occasionally... A pretty decent team. They went to the playoffs four years, uh, or um, no, one year. They only went to. The, hold on, let me make sure I have this right. They went to the playoffs a couple of seasons, including one year under Bob Bradley, uh, or maybe it was two. They had some decent players. Brad Guzan was there. Sasha Kleshtian yeah. was there. Kubo Torres made his name there, although he, he obviously dropped off. He made his name there before uh, going down to Mexico. So they 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 had some decent players, and I'm sure I'm missing some. The problem with you guys, I believe, made a brief appearance there. He did end his career there. Yeah. We don't like to talk about it because it was the the sad end of the the John O'Brien uh, career. When it yeah. could have been so much better if his knees hadn't given out on him. Uh, they they qualified for the playoffs four years from two thousand six to two thousand nine. Uh, but they from the very beginning. So the idea was Major League Soccer wanted to put a second team in Los Angeles. Jorge Vergara, who was the owner of Chivas de Guadalajara and of OmniLife was the company that he ran. He wanted to bring Chivas's name to LA. So it was, I don't remember who initiated the relationship necessarily, but I do remember that it was ultimately, and there was another, another couple of guys involved in the early going too. They wanted basically to put the Chivas name on a team in American soccer. I mean, as an outpost essentially. And, and look, we we've seen sort of similar things happen since then. NYCFC, although they're not, not called Manchester City, New York or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. 
Um, but we've seen it since. But the problem was that by slapping Chivas USA on the club, you basically said to every non-Chivas fan in Los Angeles, this isn't a club for you. Yeah, if you're, right? a, if you're a Mexican-American, you live in Los Angeles, and you're a Club America fan, then yeah. you're not interested yeah. at all, right? Yeah. And I think that it just it, it, it's a hard sell to someone. This is what my argument was for any of those clubs that were supposed to be outposts. And I still don't like it in the NWSL with OL Reign. And I'm not a big fan of the even the city colors being the same and things like that. I mean, they managed to do OK. But my my thing is that it's it's a harder sell when you're saying, OK, this is your club. Love it. Treat it with, uh, you know, care about it. Care, come out and support us each and every week that we're here give your because we talk about passion so much in soccer we fans in america certainly want to get involved that way right we want to adopt these clubs totally we want to uh, become total supporters of them it's a hard sell when you say well yeah this is your club but it's also kind of like a minor league outpost of that other club the red bulls are, the, are this too you know uh, they're not really their own thing and people all in a different country are going to make decisions that decide where this, you know, they make decisions that that say where this club goes and kind of what kind of what kind of moves they make, and and I, I don't know, it just feels it feels less organic. Even though Major League Soccer can't really be organic, it feels like less organic of a relationship when you're taking on the identity of a of a club that you don't care about because I don't, or or you're not supposed to, or if you are, in the case of Chivas, again, you're eliminating everybody who isn't a Chivas de Guadalajara fan, so. That to me is why it was always sort of doomed to failure, and it's a failed experiment because the, the, eventually there weren't any fans. Vigara decided that he wanted the club to be so Mexican that you had to either speak Spanish, be Mexican American, to even be attached to the club. Then they got sued because of you can't do that in the United States. That's discriminatory. Right. For background, <laughs> that's kind of how Chivas de Guadalajara works, right? Isn't it? You have to be Mexican to play for the team. It's sort of a club. yeah. Uh, I don't think it's written down anywhere, but it's a club philosophy at least. Yeah, solo Mexicano is the policy there at Chivas de Guadalajara. Yeah, and that and that's their their claim to frame. Right? And we do look, we do celebrate those things in football a little bit. Bilbao and and Guadalajara, you have to be either from Basque country or you have to be Mexican to play for Chivas. And those things are are nice within those countries, but you you obviously have a, a harder ask to 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 export that idea. Or if you do. The only other thing that you can do is say, okay, you have to be American. That's the only, and even then, I don't know yeah. if you can do that legally. It might not even be, you might even be allowed to do that in the United States with a, with a soccer club. So again, it just, it was a bunch of bad decisions compounding each other, even if they had a couple of good years. And yeah, that's it. It, it failed. So can, and, and, can I assume that it couldn't have worked and something similar could not work in the future to answer the latter parts of Richard's question? Well, I don't think it, it, it could, it could have worked if they had managed to find a way to market it that wasn't you know, that, that broke down that barrier. I don't know if that's possible. You know, I, I don't know how creative you could have gotten with saying, okay, yes, it's Chivas USA, but you know, this is LA's team or we represent this part of the community. I mean, you look at what LAFC has done and they're not pigeonholed because they are LAFC, but they've gone and they've, they've captured a lot of the community that should have been Chivas USA fans or could have been Chivas USA fans yeah. if that team had done a better job of it. So I don't know. I don't want to say that it couldn't have worked in some unique way that I just can't conceive of, but I don't know. I I don't see it. And as for whether or not it could work in the future, it, the same idea again, like a a policy of limiting the kind of players you sign. I I don't know. Again, I don't know if you could even do an all American team in MLS. So that would be questionable. But the idea of if if we're talking about 
foreign outpost or American outpost of foreign clubs. It makes MLS look lesser, doesn't it? I think it does. Yeah. I, and that's, that's, that's part of it too, right? Again, and, and I understand that when you're in the position of Major League Soccer and you're expanding or you're looking for new investment, you're not always able to look that gift horse in the mouth. And the same thing goes for the NWSL with OL Reign, right? It makes me uncomfortable, but I get why it's happening. So if, if those clubs can maintain sort of some sort of independent identity, if you don't feel like you're just an outpost, if you actually feel like you're a club in and of itself so that when you sign a player, it's not, well, in two years, if he's really good, he's definitely going to Manchester. He's definitely going to Salzburg. He's definitely going to Leipzig. If you can feel like it's your club, then that's all that matters, right? That it has to feel like, and, and like you could argue that, that it's the same thing with selling clubs around the world. It's just not an official relationship, right? Like Weston McKinney is being looked at maybe by Southampton, right? And what, what happens to Southampton's best players, Daryl? They don't stay at Southampton. <laughs> They move on and they help other teams win titles. Yeah. So you could argue if, if, as a Southampton fan that you don't have that agency either, but it doesn't feel like somebody else is pulling your strings. They're not officially Liverpool's reader club. Exactly. <laughs> They're not Liverpool light. They are their own identity. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jason, thank you uh, for coming on today. And thank you for answering those questions with me. Really appreciated yeah. it. And I enjoyed your Loved answers. It. Hope our listeners did as well. I've got another question for you, though. What's your prediction for when we get to see each other again? So we see each wow. other at you know, US Soccer, the, the, the uh, uh, United Soccer Coaches Conventions, or at mm-hmm. an MLS Cup, or at All-Star, or at US National Team Games. When do you think that's going to happen again? Well, I don't, I don't, in terms of a big American soccer event, because I know that the convention is now virtual next year, which is certainly disappointing. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm presuming that MLS Cup has very little chance of being an in-person attended, everybody goes and covers it event, um, even though that's in December, and it feels like we should be out of the woods by then yeah yeah anytime um, you name I, something like three or four months in the future it feels like it should be over but there's no guarantee yeah i don't know maybe Maleska. I, I don't think so i'm gonna say you know out, outside of the possibility that because we're not separated that by that much physical distance that i drive there or you drive here we actually just hang out as friends because we are um outside of that in terms of an american soccer uh context oh man um maybe all-star game next year (laughs) if we go to the all-star game (laughs) yeah so you're you're projecting a year into the future because that feels realistic right yeah pretty much yeah i just don't know i just don't know okay so till then we'll either drive up and down 95 um (laughs) and and also lovely a very fun thing to look forward to (laughs) (laughs) or um i'll listen to the best soccer show like everybody Uh. else Yes, and uh, yeah, and I, I'm listening to the Total Soccer Show as well. Of All course. right. So I assume yeah. you would like people to go find the best soccer show. I assume it's a new feed, right? It's not just a JD and the Rod converted based on what's happened in my feed. Um, it the is, JD and the Rod logo has disappeared. Yeah, it's it, that feed is still alive technically with our old archive the last year, but best the best soccer show has its own feed. Again, um, it's it's popped up in the soccer podcast, although things have changed on, on Apple Podcasts. So, but it's still there if you click on soccer and there's the first uh, 50 or so. You'll find it in there. Um, yeah, it's, it's, and it's everywhere else. It's on all the podcast uh, catchers that people use. And uh, we're on Twitter at Besties Soccer. We call our, our listeners the Besties. Lovely. We're on Instagram at The Best Soccer Show. If you want to jump in there and uh, Facebook, of course, you can probably find it pretty easily. Yeah, just um, if you if you listened before, welcome back. Please listen to us again. Give us a rating and review if you loved us. If you never heard the show, 
give it a chance. Just just listen to it. It's nothing like the Total Soccer Show. I can tell you that right now. But that's that that you know. It's I think it's good. Just as the Total Soccer Show does their thing very well, I think we do our thing very well. That's it's I fun. I think that's why we're all friends, right? There's like uh, best soccer show. Uh, me and Taylor and the Cooligans. We all do something slightly different, so it's okay. Yeah, I think that's probably we're not we're not in rivalry with one another. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Alexis gets on my nerves sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Are you the reason for the power cuts we keep getting? <laughs> my house, house. <laughs> I didn't know that was happening. <laughs> my plan is working. Now, um, I look. I think also we all, you know, again, like you said, we came up together, sort of. So I think that's part of it too. But um, yeah, it's 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 a unique listen uh, in American soccer. I think it's fun. Check it out. Yeah, appreciate the time, Daryl. All thank right, you very much Jason, thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Listeners, we will talk to you again very soon.